Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We'll take a couple questions. Mr. Jordan, what about the idea, though, and this is something Mr. Castro got into, the idea that, you know, there's, uh, you know, attempted crimes, attempted murder, attempted burglary, and even if something was attempted, even if there was no deliverable, isn't that relevant still if something was quote Chad, 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 look, Ukraine's one, as Ernst & Young said, one of the three most corrupt countries on the planet. President Trump and our, our, our administration, or his administration was checking them out. And guess what? After President, after uh, Vice President Pence visit with Mr. Zelensky, after Senators bipartisan, Senators Johnson and Murphy visit with President Zelensky, six days later, the aid is released because they all became convinced this is a guy worth sending the hard-earned tax dollars of the American people to. That is clear from the record. Never once in this 55-day time frame, never once did President Zelensky announce that he was going to start any type of investigation into Burisma or Biden's? Never once. And yet the aid got released. So the facts are the facts. You guys can talk about all you want and the Democrats can do all they want, but the facts will not change. And, and I think the American people clearly see that. Not secondhand. It's Sondland talked to Yarmack and then Yarmack and Sondland have a conversation. Then Sondland talks to Morris and then Morrison talks to Taylor. And this all happens in Warsaw where Vice President Pence is meeting with President Zelensky and nothing happens there. That's unbelievable. To finish the question, the White House has been blocking some of the first-hand witnesses from actually coming and participating in this inquiry from responding to requests to justify. And these are close advisors of the president. Should they be coming? Well, that, that's that's a long, long tradition in our country and, and press in our country. They, these are these are close advisors to the president. And there's a court case. We'll see. I think it's December 10th. They're going to rule on the Bolton motion. So we'll, we'll find out then. So you do not do you not believe do you not believe his testimony that Gordon Sondland made clear that after his conversation with President Trump that everything was contingent on announcing his investigation? Are you just simply saying you don't believe what no, I, be, I, I understand the facts. As Ms. Stefanik just said, as we said, as we said in the committee, I understand the facts, and the facts are squarely, strongly on the president's side, and I think, again, the American people see that. We talked to Gordon Song, who talked to the president. More. Well, I want to hear from... In the whistleblower's complaint, bullet point number one, he says this, over the past four months, I have talked to more than half a dozen U.S. officials. I want to hear from the whistleblower and those officials that he or she talked to. I want to hear from those individuals. Again, that, that's that's their call. These are close advisors to the president. The long history of our country is they don't have to testify. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what the court says on on, on Bolton and Mulvaney. Yeah. Yeah. That's up to them. That's up to them. Thank you. You feel though, just because there are alleged associations, the whistleblower with a Democratic politician, a prominent Democrat, that that biases that person inherently. Is that part of your? All I've all I've ever said is all I've ever said is there's one member of Congress who knows who the whistleblower is, and one member of Congress whose staff has met with the whistleblower, and that's Adam Schiff. 
It hadn't happened to anyone else. Is it okay for the, is it okay for the president to ask for an investigation into the Bidens from the Ukrainians? Is that okay for you? I think what I think what should happen is the whistleblower should testify. All we asked for today with our motion was to, to depose the whistleblower. That was Thank day you. one on the Intel Committee. Do you have fun? Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, Congressman uh, Jim Jordan of Ohio, Republican uh, on the committee, just named to the committee, um, and you heard a reporter there trying to get him to answer the question: Is it okay for the president to uh, try to get a foreign country, in this case Ukraine, to investigate his political rivals? In this case, the Bidens and uh, Congressman Jordan refused to answer the question. It's a answer. It's a question uh, rather that uh, many Republican members of the House and Senate have refused to answer altogether. Uh, Mike Earhart, I want to go to you because when Congressman Jordan w- was talking, uh, you said that's not right. He was saying something not correct. What was he saying? Uh, he was saying it's a long tradition in uh, in our country of having uh, people working in or near the White House or in an administration um, uh, not testifying. That's just completely not true. Um, and the fact is, there's no privilege uh, under our Constitution and in our law that prevents people from talking about or disclosing criminal activity or abuse of power. So no privilege is going to protect somebody from reporting that, especially if they were witness to it, if they heard it. <laughs> All right, good point but of clarification. That, that's assuming criminal activity or abuse that's of power. Or abuse of power, that's, which is, of course, but it's of course what this there is, is about. Is but, but it's not we a, have a, uh, no, the, chair, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, is about to speak right now. Let's, uh, let's listen in. Okay, thank you. Um, Just wanted to make a few observations about the hearing today. First of all, I want to thank these uh, incredible uh, public servants uh, for their testimony, for their decades of experience. I think between the two of them, they have half a century to a century of experience in serving the country uh, in war as well as in peace. I thought their testimony very powerful. Uh, Obviously, uh, these are two very credible witnesses. Uh, who speak uh, from the heart and who have the greatest uh, dedication not only to the United States but the deepest care for Ukraine, uh, a deep and abiding interest in Ukraine and its future and its prospects. The portrait uh, that I think their testimony paints is one of an irregular channel uh, that ran from the president through Mick Mulvaney, Ambassador Sondland, Um, Ambassador Volcker on down to Rudy Giuliani, in which the president sought to advance his political and personal interests at the expense of United States national security. Uh, And the president did that by pressing this vulnerable ally to get involved in the next presidential election in a way that the president thought would advance his re-election prospects. Did so by inviting Zelensky to do these political investigations, and more than that, did so by conditioning a White House meeting as well as ultimately hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid needed by this ally. Now, a couple points on the White House meeting and on the military aid. This was a new and politically inexperienced president of Ukraine with a lot of promise, who ran a campaign based on ending the conflict uh, in Ukraine uh, with the Russians, but also fighting corruption. It was, I think, a euphoric time for Ukrainians to have this reformer as their president. It was important, as we heard today, that this new president could demonstrate to friend and foe alike, to both his own countrymen, but also to his adversary, the Russians, that he had a strong relationship with the President of the United States. A White House meeting is one of the best ways to demonstrate that. 
Uh, and so this is something Zelensky clearly wanted and came back to time after time and his people came back time after time. When are we going to get that meeting? When are we going to schedule that meeting that you said we would get? And time and time again, the answer came back. We first want you to commit to these political investigations to help the president's re-election campaign. And we want you to do it publicly. Uh, and then we would learn, as they learned, and as they testified, that not only was this meeting conditioned, but also this military aid at a time when Ukrainians were dying every week. Um, and so we will hear other witnesses, I think, who will corroborate much of what you heard today. Uh, today allowed you to hear from Ukraine, uh, from uh, Ambassador Taylor's perspective, and from the view from Washington, from Mr. Kent's perspective. Other witnesses will fill in some of the pieces before, after, and during. But we don't expect the facts are largely going to be contested. There wasn't much of an effort by the Republicans today to contest these facts. Ultimately, what we will need to decide, and what I hope members on both sides of the aisle in the House, and if necessary in the Senate, what I hope members will think about is, what do these facts mean for the future of our country? What do these facts mean in terms of what Americans should expect from a president of the United States? Are we prepared to say that asking a foreign nation now to intervene in our elections is something that is a perk of the office of the presidency? Are we prepared to say that conditioning taxpayer-funded military assistance to an ally that is fighting a fight in which we have a deep stake is also now a perk of the office of the presidency. Are we now going to say that other official acts can be conditioned on another country giving something of value to the president of the United States um, is just now going to be the new normal for the president of the United States? I don't think we can allow that to be the new normal acceptable uh, in any way, shape, or form, or it will not only permit this president to seek other ways to bring about interference in our election, but it will invite future presidents to do the same. So we have some very difficult questions to answer at the end of the day about what these facts require us to do, but you will be hearing shortly from other witnesses um, who I think will corroborate much of what you heard today. Uh, and with that, I'm happy to answer a couple of questions. Mr. Chairman, what did you make of the new information today that he presented uh, to the committee that Mr. Taylor's aide overheard this phone call with Gordon Salmon and the president? And secondly, do you believe that Gordon Salmon, when he testified, would be truthful to your committee about his interactions with the president? Well, first of all, in terms of the new information that Ambassador Taylor gave today about this conversation, the day after President Trump is on the phone with President Zelensky, in which one of Ambassador Taylor's staff um, is overhearing a conversation between Sunland and the president, and, and the president is speaking loud enough where he can hear part of the conversation, and the president is interested uh, in whether the Ukrainians are going to do the investigation, and Sunland assures him that they are. This is very obviously very important because there is an effort, uh, apparently, to uh, by the president's allies, throw Sunland under the bus, throw Mulvaney under the bus, throw anybody under the bus in an effort to protect the president. But what this call indicates, as other testimony has likewise indicated, is that the instructions are coming from the president on down. Mick Mulvaney made that abundantly clear in his press conference. 
but this call also makes it abundantly clear. And I think Ambassador Taylor made it abundantly clear when Taylor testified that he wanted Sondland to push back on Trump's demand for these investigations. Um, that is not asking Sondland to change his view, it's asking Sondland to help change the president's view, the president's demand. And so I think this witness is potentially very important. And of course, we are moving to depose this witness, and we have already scheduled uh, their deposition. Yes. Last question. Uh, look, I'm, I'm reserving judgment uh, on the ultimate questions once the testimony is complete uh, about what should follow from this. What are the consequences? It is certainly the case that the founders were deeply concerned that a president of the United States one day may be elected to office that would put his or her interests above the country, that would sacrifice our national security, either to get a political or personal favor or owing to some foreign influence. So the facts that have come to light are very much what the founders had in mind, I think, when they provided a remedy. Uh, so we're going to have to make that decision. I, I'm not prejudging it. Um, the only thing I'll say, because I didn't answer the second part of your question, Manu, uh, in terms of Ambassador Sondland, one of the reasons why we want to do these hearings now in public, having done the deposition in closed session, is we want the American people to be able to evaluate the credibility of the witnesses for themselves, and I'm confident that they will. You Thank you. Why move to table? As the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, Adam Schiff, Democrat of California, we're going to squeeze in a quick break. We're going to have much more of our coverage of this momentous day, the first day of public impeachment inquiry hearings. Stay with us. We'll be right back. A historic day on Capitol Hill for the first public impeachment uh, inquiry hearings for President Trump. Uh, let's chew over all this. We are awaiting uh, President Trump and uh, Turkish President uh, Erdogan taking questions, and we'll go to that live. Uh, but before we do that, there was a point you were making, because Jim Jordan had talked about, he had, Congressman Jim Jordan, the Republican, had been asked, well, if you're criticizing all these people for secondhand information, these two witnesses, what about bringing in the people with firsthand information? And he said, well, there's a tradition of that not happening because of executive privilege. And you said, that's not necessarily correct. I want to give you one great historical example where somebody came in and had to uh, talk about the president. That was President Nixon's White House counsel, John Dean. Uh, Nixon's White House counsel office had one person in it, John Dean. John Dean came in and he testified in front of Congress and that became very significant testimony. And one reason why he was able to do that is because he was testifying th about things that were not lawful. And that's what we've heard uh, John Bolton call this a drug deal. Uh, we've also... Um, Mulvaney at one point said it was a quid pro quo. So these are people that would be helpful to hear from. Uh, but the, the president right now is keeping them away from the public. But even but, if it's because there, I'll just make a point. There is a tradition, a long tradition of executive mm -hmm. privilege. It's not enumerated in the Constitution. It's implied a separation of powers. We saw it in, in, in the Clinton administration during Whitewater, Monica Lewinsky, the Bush administration, Obama administration on Fast and Furious. So to somehow to say this is it's not doesn't exist. But what about people that are no longer in the White House, for instance, such as John Bolton? That's right. a question Nia had asked you before. Would you support it's a, John listen, Bolton? It's a question. And there's a, legitimate, there's a legitimate separation of powers issue, I think, that needs to be resolved by the courts. I, I do believe that. I am. Listen, I, I believe it's absolutely true. I've, I've come on here. Listen, before when the president was was trying to get this executive emergency executive order for spending, I, I opposed it. I thought it was a bad idea because of separation of powers. I do believe 
You may not think so, but I think the court is the ultimate arbiter of this, and the court will determine. Remember, too, and this came up in the testimony today, not only has the president refused to allow witnesses to testify, but all the documents, mm-hmm. all the underlying emails, memos, um, all, all the, you know, how government works is largely on paper or, you know, through electronic transmission. And as we learned today, they've turned over none of that. Yeah, but, but that's exactly. And the that's not, and, yeah, and, but, but Jeff, did it happen in Fast and Furious? With, no, with, did they turned oh, over some. They, of course come they, on, turned, they didn't. You didn't turn, they didn't turn over everything you wanted in that totally manufactured and fake scandal. Oh, but then, <laughs> uh, but, but um, there, you know, there was a dispute. But here they've turned over nothing. So let Absolutely me, zero. So let me ask you a question, Jen Psaki, as a Democrat on the panel. Do you think that the Democrats achieved what they needed to achieve today? I do, in part because I think Adam Schiff is exactly the person who should be leading this uh, this testimony and leading these hearings at this point in time. He tried to uh, conduct it with a somber note, with a serious note. And what I heard from him as in his closing remarks during that press conference is really important. He was taking this beyond Trump. It's not just about removing Trump from office. It's not just about Democrats disliking <laughs> Trump. It's about the precedent we're setting for the future. And he was very clear on that by saying that, you know, we don't want to set the precedent that in the future, uh, any president should should be able to get uh, political dirt on their opponent. They should be able to use their office for political gain. And that's the question for the public. He's trying to pose this question to the public that they're ultimately going to need to decide on. And it's not just about... What about Speaker Pelosi's statement in May where she said... We're not going to go to impeachment unless we have clear and overwhelming bipartisan support because da- it's so divisive. David, about that? David about I, I was not an advocate for moving for impeachment. Neither were the National Security Democrats who uh, came uh, forward uh, in the Washington Post op-ed. The Ukraine situation changed the dynamic and changed the views uh, of Democrats in Congress. But what about her statement? What about that statement that she made saying that unless there's clear and overwhelming support, bipartisan support, I'm not going to move forward because it's so divisive. What about that? Well, there is. I mean, if you look at polling. No, come on. No bipartisan support uh, in Congress. I'm talking about Nancy Pelosi. But listen, there there is growing support in the public. Not in Congress. Overwhelming uh, support for the hearing. David, David, this isn't the easiest thing, honestly, for the Democrats to do because there's not a clear path for 20 Republicans to come on board for impeachment. They're doing it because they feel they can't not do it. What about they have to move forward with this process? What are we saying? I'm answering your question. But, David, let me ask you. Do you think it's okay for any White House, any politician, to use whatever pressure they have, even if it's just, you know, phrased as a polite question, uh, to ask a foreign government to investigate, publicly announce an investigation of a political rival? No, so, again, so I I look at this and say the president was, again, the the long conversation was held with the president and President Zelensky were primarily based on the, the server notion, right, this this the the the, the crowd strike scan, primarily based on there. Zelensky raises the, the Biden stuff. They talk about it briefly. Zelensky said, "I didn't feel pressured by it." So the notion that somehow there's pressure. I'm not. You changed so the somebody, subject a little bit. I'm, I'm just asking. Do you think it's okay? I don't you? think it's a great. No, I, I think I, I would have preferred the president wouldn't have said those things about about the Bidens. I think crowd strike, retrospective corruption. I think is completely fine and within his purview to do. Right. So I, I think he could have talked about. You know, past corruption with Biden and Hunter Biden, the past thing there, I don't think prospectively it's a good thing. Can I make a really yeah. quick point about constitutional law? I want to clarify this and get, make sure the public gets it right. The president does not have an absolute executive immunity no. in, in, in impeachment investigations. He doesn't have an absolute executive privilege over all information that's produced in the administration, some of which may have nothing to do with him. 
But if this president succeeds on those arguments, he is above the law. He's above any other means for holding himself accountable. What's left is the election, and he was trying to game the election. That's the problem. But is it not, is it not true that Democrats have decided to not fight these fights because they think it will be take way too long in the courts, and they'd rather just make it an article of an impeachment was, uh, obstruction of Congress, just like uh, happened in the Nixon impeachment. That's a good point. Uh, going to the courts was a risk for the Democrats. One of the problems with going to the courts is you can lose. Other problem is delay. Instead, what we're seeing right now is the House has made a decision to stand on its own authority, which has always had, to go forward with an investigation. And if the president tries to obstruct that or interfere with it or undermine it, that's a problem with separation of powers. So I want to bring in uh, the, the biggest news from the day, I think, which is the news uh, that Bill Taylor, uh, the former ambassador and now the current top diplomat in Ukraine, uh, announced today. Uh, it is uh, SOT number one uh, about what one of his aides overheard. Uh, let's let's roll that sound. Ambassador Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kiev. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. So that's that's a pretty big bombshell, considering that we did not know that we had not heard that. We believe that on Friday, that aide of Bill Taylor's uh, is going to is going to uh, take questions behind closed doors and depositions. We're going to go now to the White House where the president and the Turkish president are taking questions from reporters. We'll keep them apprised. But some of them joined us. They happen to be here. Senator Jim Risch. Thank you, Jim, very much. Ted Cruz. Thank you very much. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey, thank you. And Rick Scott. Thank you, Rick, very much. Uh, Joni is here. Joni earned someplace. Uh, these are people that want to see peace in the Middle East, and I thought it would be appropriate to have them come over. And they met with the president, and we had a lot of very uh, frank discussion. And we're dealing with a very big subject, a complex subject. It's been going on for centuries in many cases, uh, but we're making a lot of progress, tremendous progress in the Middle East. Okay, a uh, couple of questions. Go ahead, OAN, go ahead. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Um, first, I'd like to just start out getting your general reaction today to the impeachment hearings on the Hill. Do you feel that Democrats made their case, and how did you feel about the Republican performance? Are you talking about the witch hunt? Is that what you mean? Is that what you're talking about? I, I hear it's a joke. I haven't watched... I haven't watched for one minute because I've been with the president, which is much more important as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this is a sham and uh, shouldn't be allowed. It was a uh, situation that was caused by people that shouldn't have allowed it to happen. I want to find out who is the whistleblower, because the whistleblower gave a lot of very incorrect information, including my call with the president of Ukraine, which was a perfect call and highly appropriate. And he wrote something that was much different than the fact. Uh, I want to find out why the IG, why would he have presented that when, in fact, all he had to do is check the call itself and he would have seen it. I'm going to be releasing, I think, on Thursday, a second call, which actually was the first of the two. And you'll make a determination as to what you think there. 
but I've heard just a report. They said it's uh, all third-hand information, nothing direct at all. It can't be direct because I never said it. And all they have to do is look very, very simply at the transcript. If you read the transcript, this was analyzed by great lawyers. Uh, this was analyzed by Greg Jarrett. It was analyzed by Mark Levin. It was analyzed by everybody. They said this statement that I made, the whole uh, call that I made with the president of Ukraine was a perfect one. So uh, that this country gets put through that, that we have to waste this gentleman's time by even thinking about it, talking about it. I'd much rather focus on peace in the Middle East. And uh, I hear that it's uh, I hear that it's a hoax and it's being played as a hoax. That's what I hear. But you'll have to tell me. Go ahead. Then, if I may, on Syria and peace in the Middle East, uh, President Erdogan talked about re repatriating Syrian refugees back to their homeland. Have yeah. you had those discussions with European le leaders since there are so many Syrian well, No, I think that, uh, frankly, Europe should be paying for this to a large extent. As of this moment, uh, Turkey's been paying for most of it. I think the president was saying today they've spent over $40 billion on uh, the cost of that. $40 billion. How much? 30 oh. million. 40. That's what I said. <laughs> Whatever. He spent a lot, okay? <laughs> they give it, they're throwing out all these different numbers. I heard it was $40 billion. How is that? $40 billion, correct? So $40 billion. And I've heard that number from others, and that's a lot. Uh, Europe has contributed about three. Uh, and uh, a lot of these people would go all throughout Europe. I mean, it would be a a devastating situation for Europe because he's got four million people. He has a lot of Kurds, too, that they're helping and taking care of. So uh, I, I, I have spoken to Europe about it. I think they should help us with ISIS because many of them left France and they left Germany and they left UK. They left different countries. And these countries should help us because if they ever did get released, which we won't be doing, but if they ever did get released, that's where they want to go. They want to go back to France and Germany and UK and all of those other countries that are not helping us. Uh, I gave them the option, would you like to have them back? And intelligently, they said, no, thank you. But that's not right and it's not fair. Uh, I can tell you also that Turkey captured uh, when they, some, some escaped during the conflict, when they had the heavy shooting, and, I mean, I think I know how they happened to escape, but it's one of those things. It doesn't matter because uh, Turkey captured everybody that escaped plus an additional group. When we took over, when I became president, ISIS was rampant all over the Middle East. And as of about a month ago, I think, Lindsay, we can say that we uh, have now 100 percent of the caliphate. And they'll always try and grow, but they haven't been able to do that. And... Uh, what we did last week with al-Baghdadi, who is the uh, absolute founder, leader, uh, set them back. We also got his number two, and we have our sights on his number three. So they're not going to be growing too fast. But I will say Turkey's been helping us a lot. So with that, I also have a question for President Erdogan. With the, what you're calling a realignment along the northern Syrian border, a lot of Christians in that region are feeling very vulnerable. Groups on the ground are saying that attacks on Christians have increased under this new policy and that they're not feeling safe any longer. Can you guarantee that the Turkish government will also protect Christians in that region? 
In fact, there was an attack on an Armenian priest who died, he and his father, this week. ISIS is claiming responsibility. Thank you. Thank you. On the contrary, Kaldani, Yazidi, and Christian minorities is an area where we're especially sensitive about, and we have certain different plans. Whether it be the ones remaining on the side of Syria, whose sanctuaries have been destroyed, whose, whose churches have been destroyed, we'll see their sanctuaries getting revived and their churches will be reconstructed so that they can go back and start praying there again. And these are the plans that we're making for them. As I said before, the Christian minorities, Aramic, Christian Catholics, Kaldani and Yazidi, the ones who are living on our side of the border have no problems whatsoever. But the ones remaining on the side of the Syrian territory will see their uh, worshipping practices restored and revived in a special manner. They are receiving health care, they are receiving humanitarian aid in every aspect possible. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, would you like to pick somebody? A friendly person from Turkey, please. Friendly. Only friendly reporters. We like to see. There aren't too many of them around. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Uh, you inherited the burden of uh, Obama's flawed foreign policy, and one of those flaws was uh, allying the U.S. with the U.S.-designated terrorist organization, the PKK, and a Syrian offshoot YPG. Uh, you're trying to mend the damage that it did to U.S.-Turkey relations. However, you also invited the uh, ringleader of YPG to the White House. He's called name Mazen Kobani and he is responsible for at least 18 terrorist attacks in Turkey, uh, which caused the death of 164 soldiers and 48 civilians. So after today's meeting, do you still think of uh, inviting to him to the White House, which will be very offensive and hurtful for the Turkish public? Thank you. Well, I had a very good talk with him. We had a very good uh, recently. And uh, we're working very closely together, and we're also working very closely together with your great president. And a lot of things are happening. A lot of very positive developments are happening. Uh, a lot of that is definition. What's your definition of the various groups within the Kurds? You call the Kurds, and then you have various groups, and some like them and some don't. But I think we've made a tremendous uh, amount of — we've gained a tremendous amount of momentum and strength and and knowledge over the last short period of time. So we'll see what happens. But I will say that uh, the relationship with, with President Erdogan and Turkey has been outstanding. And, you know, it's a major country with a tremendous military. Uh, they're one of our very big purchases of military equipment. They have the finest equipment in the world, which the United States makes. We make by far the best equipment in the world. Turkey understood that a long time ago. So uh, I think a, a tremendous amount of progress is being made. Okay? Thank you very much. You could ask the president a question now. Same report. You sure you're a reporter? You don't work for Turkey with that question? Me? Okay. I, I'd be glad to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. President, about FETO, 
we are not getting the best of news out of the United States. And the Fed office targeting Turkey is extensively invested in their daily works. But I can see certain traces that the U.S. government is ready to understand more about FETO. So my question is, how do you perceive the situation developing vis-a-vis the FETO Lahistarist organization and the American approach to FETO in that regard? Can we expect anything further? Yes. Thank you. During this current visit, we are going to submit, as we already have actually, a great deal of documents and evidence. And FETO is a terrorist organization, and he is the leader, the ringleader of this terrorist organization. They have killed 251 people in Turkey. They tried to undertake a coup against the government, the state, and more than 1,000, more than 2,000 people have been injured and the ringleader is living on an area of 400 acres in the United States running his network all around the globe and this is something unacceptable and during this visit as I've said before we have introduced an additional array of documents we will submit them to the relevant authorities including Mr. President and in the light of these documents I think they will appreciate the situation. We we send the terrorists back if they ask for them, and I'm sure they will do the same for us. A fox, please. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Uh, I know that you didn't spend a lot of time uh, glued to the TV today, but there was one moment where uh, Ambassador Bill Taylor recounted a conversation that uh, an aide of his overheard. It was the day after the phone call with Zelensky on July the 26th, in which the aide says that he overheard you say to Sondland, um, how are things going with the proceeding with the investigations? Sondland uh, repeated back to you, according to this aide, uh, that uh, Ukraine was prepared to do uh, everything that you wanted it to do. Can, was that, is that correct? And can you fill in some more? I know nothing about that. First time I've heard it. The one thing I've seen that Sondland said was that uh, he did speak to me for a brief moment, and I said, no quid pro quo under any circumstances, and that's true. The other, I've never heard this. In any event, it's more second-hand information, but I've never heard it. Do you recall having a conversation with I don't recall. No, not at all. Not even a little bit. Uh, uh, the only thing, uh, and I guess uh, Sondland has stayed with his testimony, that there was no quid pro quo, pure and simple. Yes, please. And President Erdogan, uh, President Trump sent you a, a letter on October the 9th urging you not to launch a military action into northern Syria. He said, uh, quote, don't be a tough guy, don't be a fool. Uh, you ignored that letter and you went ahead and you launched a military action into northern Syria. Can you explain why you ignored the president's warning? Well, This letter was represented to Mr. President this afternoon, and I've also underlined the fact that a terrorist such as Firita Abdul Shahin should not be considered as an interlocutor by a country such as the United States. And this individual, Firita Abdul Shahin, has been instrumental in the killings of hundreds of Turkish civilians, and he is a person labeled as like a son for the 
terrorist leader who is currently incarcerated in Turkey, Abdullah Öcalan. So a person like this should not be welcomed by a country such as the United States. And similarly, this person was welcomed by a country such as Russia. So it's very difficult for me to understand these when we're trying to fight terrorism on a global scale. If we're going to sustain our fight against terrorism in a healthy fashion, we need to be much more sensitive than we currently are. It happens to us today and it will happen to somebody else tomorrow is a saying that goes in our language. We have also provided information and the document thereof to our interlocutors in the White House, including Mr. President. And I've also submitted a document produced by CIA pointing out to the fact that this individual is a terrorist to Mr. President. And as I've said before, I've shared them with His Excellency, Mr. President. And we gave back the letter that we have received. President, please. For me. Thank you very much, Mr. Kurt from Kurdistan. Thank you very much, Mr. President, for all you have done for Kurdistan and for Peshmerga in fight against ISIS. Yep, thank you very much, I appreciate that. My question is, all senators I meet, all of them, I interviewed them, they believe Kurdistan is very unique in the Middle East and protect all minorities. Right. What is your clear policy on the Kurds right now? And another question for President Erdogan. Why you are not able for negotiation with the Kurds in Syria as Iraqi Kurdistan? Do you think they will be your friends in future? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Well, thank you very much. And I will say that we've had a great relationship with the Kurds. And we fought with them very successfully against ISIS. We fought together. We had, uh, we have great generals and we have great equipment, and it certainly helped a lot. But we were very, very successful, and we uh, captured, as I said before, 100 percent. I was going to, when we were at 97 percent, I was going to say, well, that sounds pretty high to me. And I was thinking about stopping it then, and a lot of people said, please go to 100. And uh, very quickly, very rapidly, the military got the 100. I wanted to have that. But uh, we have a great relationship with the Kurds. We have had. Uh, we're with them now. We get along with them. And by the way, I think the president, uh, he may have some factions within the Kurds, but I think the president has a great relationship with the Kurds. Many Kurds live currently in Turkey, and they're happy and they're taken care of, including health care. We were talking about it before, including health care and education and other things. So that's really a misnomer. But our relationship with the Kurds has been a very good one. Okay, thank you. First, we have to make a distinction between two things. We have no problems with the Kurds. We have problems with terrorist organizations some terrorists coming out of the Kurds 
which, which are they? What are they? PYD and YPG, which are offshoots of the terrorist organization PKK. Just as we have no problems with our brothers and sisters in the northern part of Iraq, where we enjoy great relations, and we have no problems with, similarly, our brothers and sisters in the northern part of Syria. During the times when Assad was not recognizing the Kurdish presence in the northern part, I told him that he needs to give these individuals passports and that he was uh, making a mistake. And secondly, there's something really important. I want you to know this. My political party has more than 50 MPs of Kurdish ethnicity in the Turkish parliament. We don't have problems with the Kurds, but we have problems with the terrorists. And of course, you're not going to own up to the terrorists, are you? Whoever they are, whoever they might be, but we might, we have to make a distinction here. We're just fighting terrorists, period. Because the terrorists don't have an ethnicity, they don't have a nationality, they don't have a flag. If they are terrorists, that is a terrorist. If you don't fight back, then tomorrow you will have to pay a very hefty price. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. President Trump taking questions alongside the president of Turkey, Erdogan. Uh, CNN's Caitlin Collins is live for us at, at the White House. And Caitlin, uh, President Trump said he hadn't watched one minute of the hearings today. He was asked, in fact, about the bombshell news from former Ambassador Bill Taylor about a phone call between Gordon Sondland and President Trump in which President Trump was overheard to be pushing for Ukraine to be conducting these investigations. What did he have to say about that? Yeah, that was that call where Sondland later told the aide traveling with him that the president cared more about the investigations into Joe Biden than he did about the issues that were happening in Ukraine. The president was just asked about that new revelation that we got today. He said he knows nothing about it and essentially said he doesn't recall that conversation, a conversation that Bill Taylor testified today that he heard happened the day after that call with the Ukrainian President Zelensky. So he didn't really give a lot of air to that, essentially just saying he didn't know anything about it. But Jake, the other thing the president did there, along with projecting this confidence, saying he hasn't been watching this impeachment hearing, even though earlier he cited the staff attorney that Democrats were using for their first round of questioning, the president complained about the inspector general for the intelligence community, who essentially jump-started all of this when they took that whistleblower's complaint to Congress. The president said he thinks that the inspector general had just read the transcript of his call, that this wouldn't have happened, though we should note that the inspector general did investigate this complaint for two weeks, found it credible, and that is why they took it. And of course, the New York Times reported yesterday the president has weighed firing that inspector general in recent days, even though multiple people have corroborated this whistleblower's account. And in fact, the director of national intelligence, the acting director, said that the whistleblower complaint was in alignment with the transcript, the rough transcript of the phone call. Caitlin Collins, thanks yeah. so much. We're going to have much more uh, coverage of the impeachment hearings and President Trump's reaction after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back. So as we wrap up uh, day one of the House impeachment inquiry hearings, we're looking ahead to a number of days just like today with witnesses and Democrats and Republicans and lots of analysis. And Jeff Tubin, let me start with you. Two people that I think everybody would like to hear from uh, who wants to get to the bottom of what actually happened. Rudy Giuliani, who I suppose could invoke attorney-client privilege, and Mick Mulvaney, the acting White House chief of staff, who I suppose could, invent, could invoke executive privilege. So 
Are we just never going to hear from them? And add John Bolton to the list. Mm-hmm. I think the only way we're going to hear from them is if we go to their speaking agent and pay them thousands <laughs> of dollars to speak, because Bolton's already on the speaking circuit, which is incredible to me when you think that, you know, perhaps the most consequential thing a, a, a Congress can do is weigh impeachment. Bolton won't talk to them, but he will, you know, give speeches for money. Um, the Democrats have made the decision, and I think it's, it's I understand it, I'm not sure it's the right decision, that... It will take too long for the courts to resolve it, even if they think they're going to win. And they are right that you're talking months, not weeks, to resolve these issues. And they feel like impeachment has to be done on a pace that simply doesn't allow that kind of delay. That's the choice they make, which means no, no, uh, no uh, Bolton, no Mulvaney. Uh, no Giuliani. David, what are you what are you looking? What do you think is, is going to happen as these hearings continue? Listen, I think if today, today was the high watermark for Democrats, presumably, you put your best people on the people they think are the strongest witnesses. And I, I think it was, uh, you know, if today was the high watermark, I think they got a long road ahead of them. What do you think, Jen? I actually don't think that's the strategy. I mean, I think they lay, they had two unimpeachable witnesses was their strategy today who could lay out the timeline and do it in a very comprehensive way. That's exactly what they did. They want to build on it. They're getting closer to Trump as they have more witnesses that proceed through this week and next week. I think we also saw the tone they would take, which is a big indication. I mean, Adam Schiff didn't take the bait. Uh, and that's the tone they want to keep through the next week or two, because they're betting if they're going to pull more of the American public in, they need to, to make this serious. And, and that's what, what they're going to try to convey. And I, I guess the big question is, is that the American public? Because you're not going to see movement in the Senate where Republicans control uh, power. You're not going to see movement unless the public moves significantly on this. I think last poll I saw showed about 52 percent support for impeachment uh, and removing President Trump from office. But that's that, you know, that's still a small, narrow majority. Yeah, it's, And there's still some folks I've seen some polls that show uh, some people just haven't made up their minds yet. Right. They need more information, something like 15 percent or something like that. And that is what this is aimed to do over the next uh, week or so. We'll hear from these witnesses. Uh, these are willing witnesses in a way that Bob Mueller uh, wasn't. They are you know, they want to tell their story. They want to testify uh, before Congress and get out uh, in great detail, as we saw from Bill Taylor, uh, what they saw and what their experience. We've got another one coming up on Friday uh, and going into next week. I think Sondland's going to be really important. Everyone keeps name dropping him as somebody who talked directly uh, to the president. So listen. It's going to be a long process. I think so far, Democrats should feel good because they have brought the public along to a certain extent, certainly from where we were months ago in terms of where the public felt about impeachment. Can they keep doing that is the big question. Michael, I want to actually come to you not as uh, an impeachment lawyer, but as uh, somebody who lives in North Carolina. Uh, What do you think the effect of this testimony is in not just the People's Republic of Chapel Hill, but but outside the research triangle in the rest of the state, are people paying attention? Do they care? Are they just getting their information from various uh, partisan and or ideological sources? I'm sure the people care. Um, North Carolina is ground zero for lots of things, and including political divide. Um, and I think we've got sharp divisions in the state of North Carolina. Um, and, and it may well be that the tribalism we're experiencing Elsewhere in the United States is also there in North Carolina. But do you think any of this seeps into the day-to-day lives of the people at Mama Dips uh, in downtown Chapel Hill, for example? Um, Well, you hope so. Um, I I think that's the college town, though. And so I think with the college town, you may expect people to be very um, into it, whereas we don't know elsewhere. 
All right. Thanks one and all for being here. Our special coverage of the impeachment hearings rolls on. Stay with us. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.